In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Today's first reading is from the prophet Isaiah, as most of us just heard. At first hearing, it can sound like a a sort of rousing encouragement to join in the noise of the day, to jump into argument, to launch a new Twitter account, and let loose, hurling abuse at all the evil forces in the world in the name of God. Using other images of today's scripture, we might feel empowered by the Spirit to to throw salt into the eyes of the evil ones and to then blind them with the light of truth. Scripture arms us for such things, does it not? Shout out, it says, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion. To everyone everywhere their sins. Yet day after day they seek me as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. As if people who gather at a national prayer breakfast... Oh, oh, it doesn't say that. I said that. These are preaching words. These are prophetic words. These are words that easily find their target today. It's tempting to yell and to scream and to raise our voices to match the voices of the world around us. And the temptations are probably going to just grow stronger in this year of a presidential election. Though I'm not sure things have grown weaker in the last three years. We're already at high-pitched intensity. And so as people of faith, what do we do? Do we join the fight, Bibles in hand? Or do we go to the other extreme and check out completely? Well, the biblical vision is one that does both. It it integrates. It brings together justice with mercy. Freedom with responsibility. Prophecy with prayer and love for the enemy. If we read on in Isaiah's encouragement to rail abuse at the sinful of our day, we notice that his words come back around and stare us in the face. Isaiah invites the people he's talking to, as well as us, to look inward as much as we're asked to look outward. Isaiah is reminding people that if we claim to follow God, then that faithfulness needs to be evident in the nitty-gritty, the everyday, the right here, the right now of life. Religious practice can be done to show off and to be seen, but it's hollow on the inside, Isaiah reminds us, in words that we would do well to remember throughout the season of Lent that begins in a few weeks, Isaiah reminds us that we're all called to the practice of fasting, but, but not to show off in religious practice, not as a means of self-improvement or if even a means of pleasing God. But the fast God desires is invisible, perhaps, 
It's interior before it's exterior. It's about humility. And yes, humility that then flows into action. Isaiah says that to lower oneself, one then begins to look around and sees others who have been made low. And then together we can begin to work to alleviate injustice, to free the imprisoned, to feed the hungry, to house the homeless. Isaiah says that if we try to live like God's people, then light will break forth like the dawn and healing will take place all around. Isaiah is trying to get people to understand the mind of God, the spirit of God, that spirit that God has planted in each one of us. In the epistle reading for the day, St. Paul describes the spirit of God, the spirit being that part of God's movement and energy in the world that appears whenever words fail, whenever words don't work anymore. And he says that if we begin to forget what God is like or get fuzzy about it, we simply have to look at Jesus. And there we see and can seek the mind of Christ. In that Jesus was fully God and fully human, his mind was filled with God and the things of God. And so to be like Jesus is to set our minds on the things he values and teaches and lives out. To be like Jesus is to allow our mind to be filled with God and God's spirit. And then filled with the spirit, we discover a funny thing, that all of a sudden we're acting and thinking and living like the people Jesus describes in the gospel. With the spirit of God pouring through us, we shine like light for others, not in a self-conscious way or a self-aggrandizing way but in a way that comes from God, that comes through God. And then picking up these images from the gospel, we become salty as well. Not in a way that overpowers or offends or stings, but in a way that is distinctive and delightful. If you cook at all, you know that too much salt can overwhelm a dish. It can ruin it, and then all you taste is the salt. But just enough. And salt somehow encourages the other flavors. It it brings them out. It makes them more. And the whole dish is better. It's that way in the world as well. Empowered by the Spirit of God, we add our own distinctive Christian perspective and find that it adds to rather than obliterates. It promotes rather than dominates. Salt is strong enough to stand on its own. Christian faith, when it's true and honest, is the same. It need not yell and scream. It makes its point simply by being. If we're centered on the Spirit and allow God to make us God's light and salt, then that second part of the gospel that can sound sort of scary just takes care of itself. That second part of the gospel talks about God's commandments remaining firm and how if we should break a commandment or teach others to do so, we'll be least in the kingdom of God. But then if we keep the commandments and teach others to do so, the gospel says we'll be great in the kingdom of God. All this takes care of itself when we're living in the spirit of Christ. Enlivened by the spirit, we realize it 
when we fall or fail or break a commandment. And so we say we're sorry to God or to whoever we've wounded. We might go to confession in a formal way. We might keep it private. We might go to the person. We might do some other roundabout way of making things right. But we stop and reevaluate and pray for the grace to carry on and do better in the future. Keeping the commandments is not the focus of our faith, but it becomes a natural byproduct of living faithfully. How do we grow in this mind of Christ? Well, it begins at baptism. It's within us, but it's sort of activated in a new way when we're baptized and we open ourselves to a community of others who are baptized and can can fan the flames of the Holy Spirit within us and can encourage us and challenge us and improve us. But we spend our lives living into and with the Spirit of God through the process the church sometimes calls sanctification. It's a way that all of us are being made holy. An enormous way the Spirit grows within us is through prayer, through the practice of prayer. Some of you join us in the summer months as we practice centering prayer in the, in the little side chapel. There are other forms of prayer, of course. There's prayer with scripture, prayer with music, walking prayer, moving prayer, Christian meditation, meditation based on other religions and traditions, non-religious meditation. All sorts of things can center us as people who follow Christ. That's where we become open to God's spirit to shape us more with the mind of Christ. Centering prayer is a type of this prayer and meditation that works very simply. One sits still with a timer on a clock or an an old-fashioned timer. And if you're not good at it, maybe start with two minutes or three minutes. and And then go to five minutes. And before you know it, you can sit still for 20 minutes. And the prayer goes all over the place. In centering prayer, we we pick a word that becomes our centering word. It it might be the word spirit or, or father or mother or Abba or Ama. It can be any word, grace or blessing. It doesn't matter, but it's just a word to come back to when we feel ourselves drifting. Centering prayer often happens for 15 or 20 minutes, and it, it takes some practice. It's, it's countercultural because in such prayer, we're not struggling to keep up with emails. We're not jotting things down that we need to do next Tuesday. We're not remembering something else we need to pick up at the grocery store. We're not even dealing with hopes or fears or doubts or expectations We're not improving or producing or creating. We're simply sitting still. That's where God wants us, so that God can speak to us and through us. It's a time for being quiet, a time for practicing quiet. Cynthia Bergeau is someone who writes a lot about centering prayer. And in one little book called Centering Prayer and Inner Awakening, She writes this. She says, What goes on in those silent depths during the time of centering prayer is no one's business, not even your own. It's between your innermost being and God. 
that place where, as St. Augustine once said, God is closer to your soul than you are yourself. Imagine not making prayer our business, but allowing God to take care of it. Whether it's centering prayer or meditation in some other form or a, a good cup of tea or coffee or just a few quiet minutes or a walk, I encourage you to tap into whatever centers you, that calls you to the Spirit of God within you. Each of us is called to be salty and bright and freed and forgiven people, living in the Spirit of God and sharing God's love with any who will have it, especially when we're getting caught up in the news of the day or the events of the day or simply filming, feeling overwhelmed by life. We can pause and breathe and remember the mind of Christ. We can slow down. We can notice. We can give thanks for the integrating, healing, renewing, and loving spirit within each one of us. And then, only then perhaps, we can allow God to use us to change the world. For all those good things Isaiah reminds us we're called and created to do. Yes, to change the world, but to begin within. May the Spirit enliven us to be people of salt and light. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.